early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many of these things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply. And Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the rebels who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to, re- to, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate, knowing it was all out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to get Pilate to release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one who you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder. Crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. They began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and they spat on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. They led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way from the country And they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of skulls. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see which each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross, that we may see and believe. Those who crucified him heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until about three in the afternoon.
And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of these standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he had died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph, and Salom. Salom. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. It was preparation day. That is the day before Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb, cut out of the rock. He rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. I don't know if you've, um, you've noticed there are lots of stories that illustrate the impact of Jesus' death on the cross. One that I came across, which I've, I've never actually heard, but I'm told is, is quite popular, is the story that depicts God... The father, as a father, as a, a railroad operator who brings his son, Jesus, to work with him one day. And uh, as the father operates uh, the railroad, his job is to lower the bridge over a river. And so as the train approaches, he adjusts the levers, he pulls the levers down and the bridge comes down. And the train can cross safely uh, across this river. If he doesn't lower the bridge on time, then, then um, the train will go off the rails into the river and everyone on the train will perish. And so on this day, uh, as the father is lowering the bridge for the anticipated train, he looks down and he sees his son playing under the bridge in the gears of, of, of the operation of this, this bridge. 
And he, and he has an option in that, in that moment um, to kill his son or, and to save the people or to save his son and let the people on the train perish. And the, the illustration, it goes like this. It says, with tears in his eyes, the father pulls the lever. He crushes his son in order to save the people on the train. That's a stirring story, isn't it? It's a, it's a stirring and emotional story. Yet in many ways, it misses, it misses the point. In fact, there are a few things that are wrong with that illustration. Most of the things that are wrong um, with this illustration is that everything just seems to happen. The father just happens to be going to work with his son that day. The, the son just happens to be playing in the gears naively um, on that day. And the people just happen to be traveling down the track, minding their own business with very little to no regard to what is going on. It's like time and chance all happen to the father. And everyone in this illustration is just passive until the father has to make a very active decision to kill his son and save the people. And you see, the problem, or at least my problem with that illustration, is that isn't what's happening at the cross. That isn't what's happening when Jesus got on the cross. You see, the cross isn't happening to Jesus. It wasn't some date in the diary circled, um, and it's going to happen to him. The cross is not happening to the, the Father, but actually the Father is at work in Christ through the cross, that the Father and Jesus are happening to the cross. You see, that's why this illustration doesn't quite work. It's not not a particularly good, not particularly helpful illustration. And yet often we rely on pictures to illustrate and reveal the fullness of all that the cross achieved. Yet in many ways we're often left Shortchanged. We often those illustrations never quite hit what we want to hit. The, the the most modern illustration that I could think of, and and maybe quite controversially, is found in the the Harry Potter series. Some of you might want to stone me now, but in the Harry Potter series, where where Lily Potter, Harry's mom, gives her life in an act of love to save her offspring. She takes upon herself a curse of death, being killed by he who must not be named, Voldemort. And later um, in the book, Voldemort would call what Harry's mom did an old magic. Some form of ancient magic that saved and sealed Harry. And there's one moment in book five. Um, you can see which side of the fence I'm on. Um, Dumbledore, the headmaster, he, he explains to Harry what happened when his mother made that sacrifice for him. 
He says this. You would be protected by an ancient magic of which Voldemort knows, which he despises, and which he has always, therefore, underestimated to his own cost. I'm speaking, of course, of the fact that your mother died to save you. She gave you a lingering protection he never expected, a protection that flows through your veins to this day. I put my trust, therefore, in your mother's blood. And so we see this illustration, whatever you think of J.K. Rowling, okay? This illustration depicts a powerfully this, this power of the creator's blood to save us, to, to seal us, to protect us, ultimately at the cost of his own life. It's a wonderful illustration. But even that illustration falls short. It still doesn't hit it. Because we're not innocent babies waiting for our moms to save us. Some of us might still be. But um, we're not, are we? And actually, we're more like Voldemort in this story. You know, it's our ones doing the killing. It's our sin holding him up there until it was accomplished. We're not just innocent bystanders in this story. We're not just some people who just happen to get saved. We're the ones who delivered Jesus up. We're the ones who shouted, crucify him. See, Jesus was being delivered up to the whole world, and the whole world worked together to betray Jesus. The world works together to deny Jesus, to reject him, to charge him, to beat him, to mock him, to kill him. We're all complicit in this. It's all of us who do this. This isn't just happening to Jesus. We don't just happen to be bystanders. We're part of this story. When the Apostle Peter recounted what happened to Jesus in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, he said this. He said, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourself know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. You see, it's you and I. It's me. We're the ones who nailed him to the cross. The cross didn't just just happen. And what we see in in the events that take place today is the, is the Godhead and all of humanity at work in this one event. And see, this is why the cross is so central to our faith. It's the, it's the primary symbol that we associate with Jesus. 
You know, not many people wear, you know, uh, an empty tomb on a chain around their neck. Or some bread. Or some wine. Instead, we wear a cross. A cross which is actually, actually a, a barbaric instrument of torture and death. Considered so barbaric that the Roman Empire said, we need to stop doing this. One, one Roman philosopher wrote, he said this, that the cross should be removed from a Roman citizen's thoughts, his eyes and ears. It's not something that a civilized person in the Roman world should have witnessed ever or even talk about. See, the cross was horrendous. It was horrific. It was bloody. It was humiliating. And see, God himself, he takes this symbol, the symbol of a cross, this symbol of execution, this symbol that the Roman Empire were completely ashamed of, and he flips it. He flips it upside down. And so when, when we think, what is happening on the cross? What is God doing on the cross? Romans 8 tells us this, that God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. See, on the cross, God was giving up his son for us. He's pure. His beautiful, his spotless, blameless son for us. In Romans 3, it says God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. That word atonement is, a, is an important word. You know, on the cross, God is reconciled. That's kind of what the word means, that the word atonement can be broken down. It can be broken down like this, at one meant. It means that two things that were separated now become one. So on the day of at one meant, or the, the day of atonement for, for, the, for the Israelites... It was a day that marks the, where the Israelites again, you know, where they were separated from God because of their sin. They were separated from him. And, and through that sacrificial system, the sacrifice of a pure lamb, it brought them back into union at one with God. And on the cross, Jesus makes us one with God. Through his precious blood, through the blood he sheds, he makes us one with God. And on the cross, in, in, in 2 Corinthians, it says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's one of my favorite passages of Scripture, that on the cross, on the cross, God was removing our sin. 
and placing the, the consequences of sin, placing the punishment of our sin upon Jesus so that we could return to him. As it says in 2 Corinthians 5.19, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And so at the, at the cross, the, the whole world is being reconciled and brought together and brought together in peace. No longer do our sins count against us. This is the wonderful achievement of the cross. This is what God has done. And then as we read in Mark at three in the afternoon, the world is in darkness, which symbolizes the the judgment of God. And Jesus cries out. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, this was Jesus' last cry of rejection. It was his last cry of neglect. And, you know, there's lots to be debated about what Jesus was, was doing when he cried out these words. But nearly every scholar would agree that he is quoting Psalm 22. And if we read Psalm 22, we see that really Jesus lived out that psalm in this moment. Psalm 22 says this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. I cry out to you, but you do not answer. I find no rest. I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults at me, shaking their hands. Balls of Basham surround me. Strong balls encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax and it's melting within me. My mouth is dried up and the tongue, my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. They lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. You know, often we can have seasons in our life where we feel forsaken where we pray prayers like, God, where are you? But Jesus was forsaken in this moment. In every way, his his anguish, his pain was more real than any of us could imagine. That separation, that, that forsaken feeling that the Father had left him. But we have to remember this. The the good news is is that the cross is not happening 
to Jesus. Jesus is happening to the cross. See, on the cross, God delivers himself to suffer to the point of death at the hands of his own creation. And by delivering himself to his creation, God delivers himself up to experience his own wrath. But God was at work through Christ, reconciling the world to himself. And so today we remember this great and beautiful and mysterious exchange that goes on. This exchange that took place at the cross where our rightful death is exchanged for his. And in return, we receive life. He gives us life. The scriptures say that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. You see, every single one of us in this room could stand before God guilty. We know that, don't we? We're even guilty of breaking our own standards. You know, if, if we were just to be judged by our standards, let alone God's standards, we would be found guilty. But we, all like sheep, have gone astray, each turning to our own way. And the Lord laid on Christ the sin, the iniquity, the brokenness, the waywardness, the rebelliousness of us all, all of it, all of us was laid on him. And so on Good Friday, yes, it is a day to mourn, but it's also a day to celebrate. You know, we look to the cross and we think, what a wonderful, amazing cross. And words like, thank you for the cross, don't seem to cut it, do they? They don't seem enough. But today we say, Lord, thank you for the cross. And so we look to the cross of Christ and we wonder how all these things work together for our salvation. And all we can do is wonder and marvel, and gasp. You see, God happened to the cross. Jesus happened to the cross. The cross didn't happen to Jesus. He was in control. 